Today on Butchio Death Trip, we're using Corn's Follow the Leader as a launching pad for vague memories and ill-thought-out ramblings. Think back to your primary school education. Was it a public school given just enough money to get by from a government that prioritised rote memorisation over creativity? Did you have any instruments other than a recorder and some banged up percussion pieces that lived in a dusty old red tub that a teacher would bring around to your classroom because, you know, God forbid schools have their own music room? Did your music teacher ever get you to bring in an empty ice cream tub to school so you could put rubber bands over it and make your own bass? Well, mine did, and whenever I hear Fieldy's bass tone, I'm taken back to eight-year-old me pulling on those thick rubber bands. Fieldy, of course, is the bass player in, you know, huge band Korn. And Korn's Follow the Leader is the third album from the Bakersfield band, released in August of 1998. And it features bangers such as Got the Life, Dead Bodies Everywhere, and a song that finally combines scatting and seven-string guitars, Freak on a Leash. But the opening song, titled It's On, continued Korn's incredible run of great opening tracks. Benji, is this the best opening track on a Korn album? I mean, that's a pretty big call. Um, on a Korn album, yeah, I would say it would be, but not for the reasons in particular. Like, It's a good song, but I just think in the, in the whole scope of Follow the Leader, it just sets the tone off like perfectly. It's not the best album opener um, from that whole pantheon of metal bands, though. I will say that. What are you going with? What's the What's the best one? My own My own summer from Around uh, the Fur by Deftones. What? Nah. Oh, just that dum da. Yeah. Yeah, 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 man. You know, it's it's a pretty iconic drum beat. So, and the only th- other one that comes close to it would be. Um, the opening track to the first Machine Head album with the drum intro to Davidian. Oh, I don't know that one, but I'm going to have to do my research now. New, new metal bands, they they love just like weird opening tracks, heaps of noise. Slipknot are a big one for it. Um, and we'll t- I think we'll talk more about that next week. But it's on yep. just what a banger. But of course you got um, Blind, you know, the tapping on the ride symbol. What is it on Life is Peachy? Is it like Twist or something? I think it is twist, isn't it? That yeah, it is, man. It is twist. I can't remember the names sometimes, man. I can remember the, you know, in my head, I can hear it, but you know, I'd be shit at a pub quiz. Oh, yeah, I know that song. It's that oh my oh song, isn't it? <laughs> oh, twist, yeah. Yeah, well, it's on. You're right. It sets a tone, but it just comes in beautifully. And that 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 album, I think, got the sorry. Um, what's it called? Follow the Leader, the album we're talking yeah. about today, it's kind of two halves. Like, it kind of peters off halfway through a little bit, but the first run of, like, five or six songs is really, really good. Incredible. Oh, it's 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 strong. I mean, you know, for anyone that's not familiar with, like, those opening tracks, it's on Freak on a Leash, Got the Life, Dead Bodies Everywhere, which was just pretty atmospheric at parts. Yeah. For a quote-unquote new metal band you know children of the corn with ice cube uh, and you're right though it does kind of justin which was the 10th track on the album i really enjoyed that was kind of like my go-to but yeah it's a it's a very very strong opening number tracks for an album at the drive-in i felt the same way as well yeah a relationship of command which had like 
just a, a very kind of top singles heavy start to the album, which is maybe the same problem that Korn had on this occasion. But I'm going to talk to you now about the time I how I first heard Got the Life because I think it was like 1998, and I was super into this song that I think you might know called Doctor Worm by They Might They Might Be Giants. I hated everything else about They Might Be Giants, but I love Doctor Worm. And how was that one? How did that go? They call me Doctor Worm. Good morning, how are you? And I got so good at it that my friends would like turn the volume down and I'd keep singing it and then they'd turn it up and I was still exactly in time. And you've seen me drum. I don't keep time very well. You know, I speed up, I get excited. I Yeah, that song is forever burned into my mind. But, you know, because it was still the early days of the internet, sort of, I would have to sit next to the radio with a blank cassette trying to tape Dr. Worm. And it was on like super request on Triple J. So people would ring up and be like, yo, we want this song. And I just wait for it. Yo, just for, just for people that aren't familiar with what Triple J is, what is Triple J? Um, the youth broadcasting system on... It's like, not... It wouldn't quite be like BBC One over here because it was more geared towards an alternative yeah, listenership. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Now it's... Now it's... It still is, yeah. Uh, it was pretty formative for a lot of people. Like, that. yeah, very alternative... But they had this show, Super Request. People could call in um, because before you had Spotify. They still do it sometimes now. It's like, what are you doing? Like, everyone has Spotify or YouTube or Apple Music, whatever they've got, Bandcamp. Like, why are we requesting songs on the radio? It feels weird. Unless it's a love song dedication, you know? But just send it, drop them, you know, slide into their DMs with Eiffel 65. That's what they want. You can't, you can't slide into people's DMs with Eiffel 65 <laughs> anymore, man. Yeah, the requesting thing, just quickly, it's a vanity thing, though, like how bands mm. want to have their music on vinyl. So I'd sit next to the radio and I'd, I'd wait, and they, I started recording Dr. Worm, and then the next song just came straight on and was Got the Life, and I forgot to hit stop. And I was just like, what is this? This is mind-blowing. And I think the song that came after that was like Marilyn Manson, The Dope Show, or something like that. Would, would that have been released around the same time? Um, I I. I think so um i think maybe dope show was a little bit earlier than than got the life i mean the, i first okay. discovered got the life um i actually wrote an article on ikigai pro uh about uh, y the old days man when you'd pick up a magazine that would have a cd on the front yes Do you remember that yeah 100%. yeah man and i picked up a copy of kerrang and it was issue seven to eight and i had a cd on the front uh and uh, the it was the second track was Got the Life. I was like, holy shit. Okay, so I've been listening to Metallica quite a lot, and I'm familiar with one or two, but who the fuck is this band, you know? So that that's how I got into it. But, man, there was – I'm not sure about Marilyn Manson. I know that Limp Biscuit's Counterfeit came out in 1998, and that was an absolute belter. I know that the first System of a Down album came out in 1998. That was a belter. That was my plug for Ikigai Pro. Continue. Get onto it. Yeah, but it was what it was one of the first instances that I remember like hearing a song and going, "Oh, I, I'm going to get that album," and then going, "I'm going to go through their back catalog." I, I, I don't think I'd ever really done that before. I was pretty young, you know. So, what was I twelve years old? No, thirteen maybe. I don't know. I can't do maths, but. I remember going to the Bendigo library where they just had a wall of CDs and you could just borrow them. And my dad had a burner and I would just burn them all, take them back. I just get like stacks of 10, burn them all. Sorry, Lars. 
And then I would yeah, take him back and just keep going again. Speaking of Lars, actually, fuck, man, I would get stung, I reckon, weekly, going on iMesh or Kazaa or Soulseek or whatever it was. And and you know how some band in, in like, Detroit, they would try and release their song, but no one would listen. So they'd put it, they'd label it as, like, Jonathan Davis with Maynard James Keenan, you know? And I've, every single time, like, I know this is fake, I know this is fake. And then I'd download it and I was like, no, this is it's clearly just a shitty band in their mum's garage every fucking time. I reckon I downloaded yeah. hundreds of them. I mean, sometimes you would come across gold, though. I mean, that's where I came across a... It was my first introduction to mashups or bastard pop, you know, however intellectual you, you bast- were. Bastard pop? Bastard pop. <laughs> it's where they take a whole bunch of things. Not bastard, bastard pop. Oh, sorry. How do you pronounce it? Bastard. Bastard. All right. Can we call them mashups? Because now I'm getting a bit of a stigma trying to pronounce bastards. But... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I discovered from that it was a mashup of Prodigy's Firestar featuring all the heavyweights, man. Ice Cube, DMX, Red Man, Method Man, RZA, Eminem, uh, and just so many other mashups as well. I was more of an Audio Galaxy kid, if you were familiar with that. No. So Audio Galaxy was, was basically... Um, you find who your favorite band is and then it would like deviate into oh you may also be interested in like proto spotify you know listening radar our uh, release radar or listening post kind of stuff it's where i discovered a band uh ah oh, it's embarrassing i've forgotten their name but i discovered like head planet earth and all of that oh, shit yeah. from there nothing i'm greatly proud of reese but it's it's uh you know I mean, like for me, LimeWire, because I was kind of like a 16-year-old kid, that's where I went to get my Bang Bro stuff from. Oh, true. I was never yeah, a porn man. kid growing up. I never really got into it. I remember once, I, one of the first porn images I saw was someone sent me like Ginger Spice naked. And it wasn't until probably about probably two minutes ago that I realized it was just a Photoshop version of her. She's not really standing in the forest, you know, naked with her head. And I was like, that's it for me. I, I've kind of I've climbed, like I'm at the top here. I'm at the apex. I've seen all there is it's to like, see on the internet. I'm done. You know, waiting 10 minutes for like just a minute's <laughs> worth of like nookie. You know, but we were young, man. We didn't have this free access like, you know, you, you porn and stuff like that. If I mention you porn enough, do you reckon we'd get a membership? Yeah, yeah they'll, they'll sponsor us for sure. Oh, you porn. You porn. Good. Awesome. They actually have Family videos fun. that aren't porn on you porn. What do they got? Well, they had the whole, um, they had a leak of Avengers Endgame. Oh! At one point, yeah, man. Because yeah, <laughs> How who, many times can you jerk who, off to that? Who from the MPAA is like, oh, I just discovered an illegal <laughs> version of one of our movies. Well, where did you discover it? Oh, on, on you porn. And what were you looking up? Yeah. Uh, uh, nothing. Nothing whatsoever. Oh, those things were the devil for computers man the absolute devil yeah for sure yeah you could download some fucking horrendous things that were just i remember going to a friend's mum's house and she's like i download this thing from napster and it's fucking ruined my computer and i was like i don't know what you've got i don't know how you got it but yeah this this isn't great for you was it that stupid talking purple monkey that that thing used to do the rounds i don't know what that is I'll have to look it up for the next time we have a conversation. But you type things in and it'd be like, 
the monkey would talk back to you. And someone tried to type in when I was um, uh, in uh, like a in our media class once. This guy downloaded it to the network of computers because it was all set up as LAN, you know. And it just you could see it infecting every single other computer. And all he wanted to do was make this purple monkey sing uh, Eminem songs. <laughs> Uh, but he didn't quite get the lyrics right. So in my head and in my heart, Reese, all the time, Chicka Chicka Slim Shady will always come out of Chiska Chiska Slim Shady. You can't get a karaoke buzz. But we were desperate. Buzz. We were hungry for music. This was pre-Spotify, you know. This was like when you would sit down and listen to the radio tape in hand and, and just record something. And, man, serendipity graced you if you managed to pick up corn and then Marilyn Manson afterwards as well. I mean, it was a... Um, uh, ruined my life. On the, uh, ruined your life. Well, I was a high-achieving student for, from, like, you know, primary school. I, was, I think I got some smart awards. And then you can literally track my life, and it's like doing well, doing well, corn, limp biscuit, uh, M&M, and it's just like, all right, he's, he's a lost cause. There he goes. I mean, if you just stuck to Blink-182, you would have been fine. Fuck off with Blink-182. <laughs> Going back to, like, this album, though, it, it not only was it good for its time, it, it's just great. Like, the film clips are great for all the singles. Um, the Freak on a Leash video is incredible. The cover art yeah. is good. They just came out, they, they ticked all the boxes, you know? Well, I mean, they worked with Todd McFarlane, didn't they? Yep. Who was uh, involved with Spawn. And around that time... Spawn was definitely something that was accepted in kind of like mainstream consciousness. They, they fucked it up with that live action movie. The HBO series of Spawn was great, but it, it almost seemed like, I know when we spoke, we did this about Blink-182, it was about playing to the audience, but it really felt like Korn definitely played into the audience and the way the music videos worked was almost like a story arc from like um, the Freak on a Leash video that went straight into um, bloody hell, what was the name of that song now? Got the Life or? It went, it was Got the Life, Freak on a Leash. And then I'm getting my albums mixed up because after the Freak on a Leash music video went into the Falling Away, away From Me, me yep. video. Um, and it was just seemed absolutely seamless. So almost artistic in a way, which is something many people won't give Korn any credit about. Yeah, so I want to talk about that because listening to this album recently, there is a lot going on, but very very tastefully done, which is weird to say because I, I'm going to guess they recorded probably to a metronome and it's I'm only just realizing that recording to a met metronome actually frees you up because you can add a lot more things you can fuck with things a lot more uh at the time you know up until very recently i'm like nah it's all feeling it's all raw energy but they have so many like little sounds going on in the background little bass drops um the guitar work it's it's real weird you know what i mean um they've obviously put a lot of thought into something that seems like it has very little thought you know and then, then they fucking yeah. drop the ball at all in the family they i don't know what the fuck what was going on in that song uh, the weird thing is, because if you read about, like, how did All in the Family, you know, that song with Fred Durst where they just end up, like, fucking each other? Oh, it was the cash grab. It was basically a family values tour cash grab. Oh, that makes sense, because they were saying, like, oh, we were drunk in the studio. It's like, yeah, you were drunk in the studio to record it, fine, but you don't have to release it. You weren't drunk when you released it. You weren't drunk when you put the tracks together. And the song's actually 
a great riff, of course. Imagine if you worked real hard on that song and you're like, I'm going to present it to the guys today. This is going to be awesome. And then Fred Durst is like, oh, what about if I talk about his ball sack? And it's like, oh, man, like this could have been, you know, our Bohemian Rhapsody. <laughs> but Fred Durst is in here <laughs> talking <laughs> about halitosis. It was such an angular guitar riff as well. Mm. I mean, that's one thing that I think people should appreciate is that Korn managed to like traverse down that line where their guitar riffs could be so angular and off kilter, like good God from life is peachy. Um, um, all in the family. Uh, but then they could, you know, you go back to tracks like got the life freak on a leash. You go back to blind, you go to clown. They also managed to like carve quite a groove. That even if you weren't a new metal fan, you couldn't help but just nod your head along. But yeah, I mean, Fred Durst on that track, with all respect to him, you don't have to give him any, but with all respect to him, it also just seems like he just phoned the whole fucking thing in. I mean, it wasn't the energetic Fred Durst that we've come to to know. You know, the $3 bill you was um, released around that time. Uh but it wasn't the energy that, say, significant other had. So, uh, yeah, the whole thing just sounds like a phone and like a prank, like Eminem's kind of prank kind of moments from his albums. Only it was an actual four something minute piece of music, which is a disservice, man. Because then when you've got, um, you know, Children of the Corn with Ice Cube, yes, absolutely fucking slapped. It's like, what are you guys doing? Come on now. And, and they used Ice Cube so tastefully in this, I think. they it, He wasn't coming out swinging, from, you know, straight out of the gates. He was, you know, he was always alluded to, like he kind of pops in and says, you know, a few little things like Timberland. You know, remember that weird time in like 2007 when Timberland was on every song but just going, hey, hey, hey. <laughs> <laughs> Is it any more weird than Timberland producing a Chris Cornell album? Well, really? Did he, I haven't yeah, heard it. But was he just like, hey, hey, over everything? But, I mean, that was his shtick, wasn't it? I mean, he blew up big time when he released, when he, he produced he produced Missy Elliott, didn't he? I'm sure he did. Oh, no, no idea. I'm not yeah, too was, familiar with his production. I think he did production. produce Missy. And, uh, but he produced that absolute banger Pony by Genuine. Oh! Yeah, man. So that was the kind of vibe at the minute. It's like how, you know, uh, earlier early last decade with diplo and those the stupid fucking rave horns man and you can't escape them now you know it's ridiculous um you know who had a hand in producing uh follow the leader a guy called toby Wright. you know who what else he produced fucking taproot reese oh fucking taproot <laughs> I was thinking about Taproot the other day. There's a few things, I, and and I know this this is not meant to be divisive. I'm not trying to be like you know, Piers Morgan or whoever you've got over there, whichever right wing guy just says whatever they want. It'll be it'll be it'll be Piers Morgan. No, at 2020 Piers Morgan's reasonable. What oh, the hell? Oh fuck me. Well, you know, it's like there's always some commentator, you know, who just says things. Ben Shapiro, whatever. But mm. I, there are a few things I. Do not get and did not get. And I think it's because they didn't hit me in the formative years. Star Wars, not a fan. Never got it. Don't care. Like, I just cannot get into it. Uh, I think because I wasn't, we weren't a sci-fi family. We were a horror family for some reason. Star Wars, Back to the Future. I rewatched Back to the Future 2 yesterday to see if I was missing something. Hated it. Fucking hated it. And 
taproot. They're my three things that I just missed out and those really when you're when your mind is fully open and you feel like they're your thing, you know, like I've discovered this movie, he goes back to the future, Biff is overacting, you know, it's horrible. Um there's this also Star Wars, but it's mostly just a toy company and George Lucas is also the best and worst thing for this franchise. And then there's Taproot. I don't know what's going on with that music or the voice. And yeah, I feel another one was Zoolander, but I, I feel like I'm on the wrong side of a lot of these pop culture movements, you know? It's like you want a bit more kind of substance in your humor and a bit more kind of substance in your music. It's the, it's the overall impression that I get sometimes, you know? It's like you don't like Adam Sandler movies because it's kind of, it just seems like it's one trick. Mm -hmm. And I get that with Star Wars as well, because Star Wars might seem one trick. And no matter how many people are going to turn around and try and argue for the case that, no, you know, it's like multifaceted and stuff like that. All you're going to see it for is either a glorified toy commercial or just a rip off of Akira Kurosawa's work, you know, whatever kind of area you want to be in there. And you've got to give Taproot another try. <laughs> I don't care if you don't like Star Wars, man. I kind of care you don't like Back to the Future. But, you know, I, I, I really care that about Taproot. Did Triple J play Taproot? I even don't think so. The problem with Taproot is you can listen to them and you go, I know all the bands. I can see all their influences clearly. There are a few bands that, that really fucked a lot of musicians up. Um, Mike Patton, if, if you listen to Mike Patton, every music you ever create will sound like yeah. Mike Patton. Like, and, and he has so many different bands with so many different styles that you can be like, well, I'm, I'm Phantomus or I'm Tomahawk or I'm Faith No More. You know, I'm the Dillinger escape plan version of Mike Patton. Uh, I'm the Italian pop orchestra version. Um, Maynard, Tool, fucked a lot of bands up. If you were really good at music, you would just copy Tool. Like there was always a high school band or like a year 11, year 12 band that were fucking had an amazing drummer. And they're like, let's just do tool riffs. Um, Metallica yeah. were kind of up there as well. Yeah. Hey, look, I've, I've got a conundrum just uh, about tool, right? Now I like tool. Mm -hmm. I just want it to be known that I, I appreciate tool, you know, undertow by tool. Fantastic album. Yeah, I don't care if they're on about like the Fibonacci sequence and stuff like that. You know, sometimes I think that Toll like Toll Tool like to troll some of their fan base. You know, but is it possible, Reese, to like a band and fucking detest a fan base? Absolutely. Because yeah. I hate Tool fans. With a, I love Tool, but I hate Tool fans, yeah. man. You know, the amount of barbecues I went to in New Zealand when I was over there last time. Hey, man. You heard of a band called Tool? Yeah, I'm familiar with Tool. Greatest band in the world, mate. You know, open my eyes to so many things. Like, you know, Prison Sex is still just has a, an entire sequence about fist fucking. Stink fist, need we say more? You my know? biggest problem with Tool fans is Tool have incredible songs. I'm a big, I, I quite like Tool. Although I hate Tool and Eminem. Guys, those fucking interlude songs, get rid of them. I don't need to hear about Paul, your manager. And Eminem, why is the, those? Why are those skits on your greatest hits on your Spotify list? Fuck them off. Tool fans <laughs> love Forty Six and Two, and there are so many better Tool songs. They, every Tool fan, and this is guaranteed. This is fact. This is not me exaggerating. Every single Tool fan has a Forty Six and Two tattoo somewhere on their body. Uh, I've seen a, a bunch on knuckles and stuff. They love that song. I'm like it's not. It's not the best Tool song, guys. Probably not even top ten. I'm just looking at the notes. 
do you remember what the title of that corn and tool download on on LimeWire was? I do. I tried to do some research for you for that. I do, um, because thinking back now, it was a band. Like, let's say you and I are in a band, and we want to get out there, but then you download the song. It's like, well, how do I know what the actual band is if I actually end up liking this song? And I, it was, um, I think they had a relationship with Jonathan Davis. It was Anima or. Oh my God, not Edema. Edema, Edema, yeah. Yeah, it's a stepbrother, if I remember correctly. Who sounds exactly like him. So if it's not blood relation, he's putting that voice on, you know, or, yeah. <laughs> or his mum or dad has a very specific type. I only fuck people whose son sounds like my son. It's a weird kink and, and don't kink shame me. It's, um, it's amazing though, because like, I think what I'm getting from this, Reese is that um, your experience with corn not only was formative, but again, I used, I used the word serendipitous, you know, because through just randomly trying to download something off LimeWire, then you discovered edema, which effectively was not an offshoot of corn. I mean, like you can go to town and back talking about Fieldy's dreams, man. That's all yours. I'm not even going to touch that whatsoever, you know, but like, you know, it, it was kind of, oh, I had the same situation when I, I thought I was listening to an Incubus track, but it was actually a, a band called Audio Vent, which was <gasps> Brandon Boyd and Mike's younger brothers trying to do a version of Incubus that wasn't quite Incubus. And it was the version of Incubus that even Incubus weren't quite Incubus. That's when they went through the whole, well, get rid of the bass player, who was the funkiest bloody part of that band to begin with, Dirk Lance, and we'll replace him with a member of The Roots, <laughs> and we'll just get rid of all of the funk whatsoever, and we'll just become just uh, straight down the middle, boring as fuck, AOR rock band. You brought up Fieldy's Dreams. Can yeah, we quickly talk it, about man. it? Fieldy's in a new band. Um, let me let me let him introduce it. We are Stillwater. Stillwell. I mean, not Stillwell. Fieldy doesn't even know the name of his own band. He's like, we are Stillwater. They've been. I looked it up. They've been together for a few years. He still calls them Stillwater, and they're Stillwell. Fieldy's dreams. Ben, for, for those people who aren't aware, what is Fieldy's dreams? A fucking vanity project, mate, masquerading as a band. I mean, I was not a fan of Fieldy's Dream whatsoever. No, no, no. I'm going to do the Joe Rogan thing and just bring it up so I can just read this out verbatim for everyone. So Fieldy's Dreams is the rap project. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you some money soon, Wikipedia. Fieldy's Dreams is a rap project by Korn's bass guitarist, Fieldy. His first album, the gangster rap album Rock and Roll Gangster, was released on the 22nd of January 2002. Most of the lyrics and music were by Fieldy himself, with Polar Bear of Infinite Mass helping out with the rest. Then he renamed his album, to, then he renamed the project of Fieldy's Nightmare, but it was, it, it, for me, it seemed like it was one of those situations where kind of, well, if I'm doing this well in this band, then I'm going to do just as well if I go out solo. And it's like, oh, no, no, no. Sometimes you have to realize that you are you are an equal part of a giant sum, and that giant sum is Korn's just overarching He's not sound. an equal part. I hated that album, man. I hated it. Monkey. Monkey and Head were, were, the, were the brains, you know, essentially. Fieldy was just along for the ride. But if you ever look at Fieldy's Instagram, and I, I challenge you to, 
He, f- he never takes his base off. He walks around his house and makes protein shakes just with his base on and just slapping it all the time. But feel these dreams. I like how he obviously thought like, you know what? You know why this isn't successful? It's the dreaming part. We've got to cut this out. Let's go to nightmares. Nightmares is where it's at. I've got a game for you. I've just got four quotes and I want you to tell me, just listen to them and tell me who said it. Is it from feel these dreams or is it Socrates? Okay, so okay. I think some of them, are, uh, you know, touch and go. Here we go. Okay. Fieldy or Socrates, the key to be free is to smoke on the ganja, smoke when I want to, marijuana mama. Fieldy. Oh, well, that's Socrates. Clearly, that's Socrates, isn't it? Uh, isn't that from like some of his early Greek work as well? No, it's the great philosopher uh, Garfield Avazu, is it not? It, you are incorrect. That was from Fieldy's Dreams. What about this one? It wasn't Socrates. It ah. wasn't, no. Super duper skunk and a little hash cake. I got to say grace before I take a taste. Bong ass bud <laughs> deserves some bud. Everybody smoke. There would be only one love. Well, <laughs> I don't know if hitting the bong was something that Socrates would have been doing at that time. I think they were more into, it was more tobacco related. But at the same time, a, a, a guy that was involved in a band that had such incredible lyrics as Falling Away From Me, um, as Lost and Can't Be Found. I'm going to have to say Fieldy on that one, Reese. Correct. Well done. Fantastic. I've got two more. And the last one's a little bit longer, but this one you should be able to get. The, okay. uh, the unexamined life is not worth living. That's Socrates. That is Socrates. Uh, you, you, you're on a roll now. The last one yep. might throw you off though, okay? And it's long, bear with me. But whether this be Fieldy or Socrates, just keep in mind that this is their thoughts and this is something that is um, they're doing to upset somebody. So this is what, how they could, how they feel they can portray themselves as a bit crazy, a bit mentally unstable. Yeah. When the sun goes down, out come the freaks. Destructive little punk breaking everything I see. Creep in your house and I'll piss on your couch. Tag all your walls, tear tear the heads off your daughter's dolls, shave your cat's back is a must, then I'll wipe my ass on your favourite toothbrush, erase all your numbers on your Sally phone, on my way out, toilet paper your home, shit in a bag, light it on fire, you open the door, there's a bag on fire, <laughs> fucking hell, stomp out the flames, dookie on your feet, it's all fun and games. Feel your Socrates, Benji. No, that's a trick question, Reese. It was actually the uh, German pessimistic philosopher Arthur Schopenhauer that came out with that, right? Shave your shaving your cat's back is a must. Of course, it gave it him away. <laughs> He's always the yeah. Was it friends or wrong? It was not friends no. or wrong. The how fucked is that? So it's like, all right, you're in, you're in someone's house. What are you going to do? It's like I'll shave their cat's back. That's a must. You got to you got to shave the cat's yeah. back, and I'll wipe my ass with your favorite toothbrush. So if you have three toothbrushes there, he's like, which one's your favorite? Because that's what's going in my ass. Yeah, but see, I don't mind if it's a wipe because it's just a one swift motion. If it was a scrub, then I'd probably have some issues with it. There's a lot more intent in a scrub than a wipe. Let's be honest, though. The 2020, in 2020, the worst thing they could do is erase all the numbers in your cellie phone. I'm a, I can get yeah. a new toothbrush. My cat's hair will grow back. I can buy new head dolls for my daughter's doll. You know, I've, I've pissed on my own couch. I've got Dookie on my shoes. Who cares? Fuck, do not, do not delete those numbers. I need them, you know? Who did come out of corn, like, uh, relatively kind of unscathed by trying to do something different? I mean, I, I mean, I, I, Head, I'll give Head credit. 
Have you seen his documentary where he leaves corn? Yes, yeah, I thought it's, it was actually quite touching to me. Same, I quite liked it, but he 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 definitely burnt some bridges there. So I'd say Monkey is just like he's. He, there's always one guy, and it's it's Kirk in um, Metallica. She's like, can't we just yeah. play music, Lars? Why do you keep buying art and suing our fans? And, and you know, James, can you stop shooting bears for a fucking minute? Can I just play some songs? You know. Um, I feel like Monkey's the guy like, guys, can we just fucking put some sleeves on our singlets and play some songs? I don't, let's just get into it, you know? And Jonathan Davis is like, I've got some bagpipes. No, fucking put them away. I've got this awesome riff. Yeah. All right, well, I'll put the bagpipes away, but I demand that I have H.R. Geiger artwork as my mic stand. <laughs> yeah, That's all right. Deal let's meet there. That's a deal. Because if David Silvera can go and like model, Oh, the amount of shit that he got for... He modelled for Calvin Klein, wasn't I thought it, it was just jeans, but I think it was a bit more... Up, uh, up, I know, it was Cal, I think it was a bit more, up, but, uh, like, up more upmarket. What was Silvera's rock bar? So, yeah, he, he quit. He quit the band. And now he's in a band called Core 10, which are the fucking worst band. I, I get Listen to a song. If you can get more than two minutes into it, then, uh, you know, I'll give you a million bucks. He started this, this bar called Silvera's Rock Bar. And I tried to get audio for this podcast, but it was recorded so poorly and they crank Korn's blind over there and they intro it. They're like, oh my God, I love Korn. Yeah, me too. Well, the drummer's just sitting over there. Oh my God. And they go up and he's like, yeah, you can get some chicken wings on Tuesday night. But um, he's just kind of sitting there. It's closed now. I looked up some reviews. People kind of liked it. It was a sports bar, but yeah, time, I don't know. He hasn't been kind to him in a way. Like he just seems, to, he seems like one of those guys who was really shit out by the music industry. You know, that really seems like it took a toll on him. But yeah, he was just, he's that's, just selling chicken wings now. I mean, you know, me and you, we know some people that, have, you know, being picked up by like larger labels or entities like that. And we've, we've seen people that have been chewed up and spat out and, I take no Schadenfreude if that's happened to Dave Silvera. You know, it's, yeah. that's, it's, it's the harsh reality of kind of like modern popular music, isn't it? It's mm -hmm. kind of well, you don't serve a purpose anymore, and you're irrelevant. So if you're irrelevant, we don't want you around. Fuck, it did get some good reviews though, didn't it? It did, yeah. It, <laughs> got, some, it got some really long ones. Um, can we go back? I want to talk a bit more, like the bagpipes. Um, that that's what ruined this the run of great opening tracks because I think from memory the first track for issues was dead, and that was just bagpipes and he's like all I want to do was to be happy happy or something like that, but two memories come to mind when I think of corn issues is that my friend got invited to Sanity I don't know if you have Sanity there uh, the music retail store. Um, no, we don't have music retail stores anymore. Well, this one's only operate. This was huge, and now it's only in regional shopping centers. Like you could drive four yeah. hours out of Melbourne. It's like, oh, there's, there's still one there, but they had a listening party for issues. Great, and I, my friend went, and I was so jealous. And then the next day, I was like, how was it? He's like, yeah, it was awesome. And I said, what do you do? He's like, oh, they just cranked the album, and we just stood there. And I was like, and, and what? And he's like, oh, some people um, sat down, and some people were laying down. I'm like, 48 minutes. He's like, yeah. I was like, that sounds fucking horrendous. Like, that's, I don't know what people do at a listening party. We did, my, my old band did do a listening party for an album, but we did it at uh, Laser Tag. So you had to run around shooting. We just had the music cranking as you shot people. 
which was I thought that was a great idea. That's fucking dope. That is such a good idea. Yeah, you can have it now, man. You can you can do that. Well, I, once things open up over here, nope. you know, do it now. <laughs> do it now. Uh, if you build it, they will come. What were your thoughts on issues, man? Like, do you think it was kind of like the the bloated, overblown kind of? We're big now. We can do whatever the hell we want. Like the video for "Make Me Bad" seemed a bit overblown. Yeah, I need to revisit that because I don't. I kind of stop at follow the leader. Um, but but that was a, issues was a huge part of my life because I was I was on board, you know. So does it hold up? Probably not. Do I go back to it? No. Um, were they geniuses for having four different covers designed by the fans so you would possibly buy four albums? Yes, that is a great idea. Uh, that is fucking genius. And they were really savvy because when I was in year seven, I I was a whiz at Microsoft front page 98 and I would make websites. Nice. I made a scream one. I'm pretty sure I made, it was called Ghostface, Mr. Ghostface's website. Um, I made a South Park one. Um, and I made NBA one and, and it, some other things, but I also made a handsome one for 20 bucks. But I remember being on this, making the South Park website and it was like, it was my first sense of like internet community. Cause you know, web rings, I had all these like, yeah. people were just desperate to get on, um, on my website. They're like, can you put my banner on? Cause I, I had this joke book that I would just hand type out, but I'd replace any character's name with Cartman. So it was just like, oh, this guy has the funniest Cartman jokes. And it was just like, instead of like, you know, an American, a, a priest and a horse go into a bar, I'd just be like, Stan, Kyle and Kenny go into a bar. And that was it. But anyway, when Corn Corn were going to be on South Park and it was hype. Yeah. And they did the Scooby-Doo mystery kind of vibe, yeah? And that's when they debuted that song. Is that right? That's when they debuted. I'm sure that's when they de They debuted Falling Away From Me, didn't they? Yeah, yeah I reckon. Yeah, it was a Corn's Groovy Pirate Ghost Mystery. Yeah. So it was like season so it was like season three of South Park. So it was like it was the first season kind of caught on. The second season just started to become a bit more of a juggernaut. Mm -hmm. Like being a wrestling fan, a big wrestling fan around that time, you couldn't help but notice that, you know, people were bringing science into arenas and it was very much uh, professional wrestlers, but have been drawn in the South Park style. Uh, I mean, you yeah. couldn't escape that at the time, could you? Even bands started doing that. The first series, like MySpace, you could like have this like South Park yourself, and bands would do that. You know, I remember. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Yeah, because I caught the first ever episode, the Cartman gets an anal probe, and I was like, to Microsoft front page, everyone needs to know about this. <laughs> um, yeah, it was it was falling away from me was the track that they played and i think it was the first time i think they did debut it and i didn't know that until you made me look it up yeah well so yeah so i was on board i think i was sucked into the hype train i wanted to go to the listening party so i was into it but it's probably not something that stuck with me but i will on my next run i will go through it can we talk a little bit about ross robinson um i know we could probably do a whole episode on him but from what i gather they're like, he's a great producer. He threw pot plants at me. He cut me with a Stanley knife. You know, he shaved my cat's back. So, and they're like, oh, it gets a more raw vocal performance. Can't you just go in and sing without having Ross Robinson behind you with a syringe full of paint? Like, he just seems to torture people. I've got a quote. And like, this album wasn't produced by Robinson, but he was no. Davis's vocal coach. And so, 
John, or Robinson said, I put the microphone on the floor, I put Jonathan on all fours, and I stood over his middle part. My hands were on him, on his shoulder muscles, and I told him, sing, and if I feel you holding back, I'm going to fucking hurt you. And then he was like squeezing him and jabbing his thumbs into his neck, and he was like sticking nails in his back when he was singing. Like, how is that okay? I mean, Russ Robinson's pretty much new metal royalty. I mean, you take a look at the work that he has done. I mean, like, yeah, all right, he didn't produce. Um, Follow the leader, but he was involved in Life is Peachy mm-hmm. and he was involved in the first Corn album. So mm-hmm. many people reckon that he discovered them. Is it any more weirder than kind of like Brian Eno and his oblique strategies of kind of like picking a random card and whatever kind of abstract comment it comes out with, it makes you sit down and think? Just in a completely more physical kind of aspect with Ross Robinson. Um, I want to hear two albums. I want to hear. I want to hear the take where Jonathan Davis doesn't have a nail in his back, and when he does have a nail, I want to see if I can hear the difference. But it worked, though, didn't it? Because when 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 Corn were at their most fraught, Jesus Christ, they sounded fraught. You know, like like Daddy off Life Is Peachy. That's harrowing man dead bodies everywhere when he does that kind of scream coming out of uh, the bridge into the final kind of chorus yeah absolutely pretty pretty strong as well you know so it worked i just didn't realize how much of an impression ross robinson had on our collective listening habits though i don't know if like jabbing nails into someone's back while they sing like Jonathan Davis can do it live now. He can go into a studio. He's yeah. done many albums that he can perform on without being like, hey, do you guys mind if I just like, if you put some hot coals in my underwear? Like, that'd be really great. <laughs> like, imagine if you walked up to like Daryl Palumbo when they were recording everything you ever wanted to know about silence. You walked the glass and went, hey, man, I heard you got Crohn's disease. So can I just like kick you in the stomach a few times just to get that kind of mm. real tortured kind of, no, man, Daryl Palumbo didn't need that whatsoever, man. It was, yeah. but, you know, we we don't know. I mean, it was a huge, huge leap from Life is Peachy to Follow the Leader. Massive, yeah. So perhaps Desperate Times called, called for desperate measures, you know. Or maybe it's the fact that uh, Ross Robinson could be a masochist, masochist or a sadist. It's a sadist that derives pleasure inflicting pain, right? Um, I'm Which not sure. Be- Jonathan Davis, the masochist. I don't know. I'll have to ask my dominatrix next time I see them. <laughs> when lockdown's over, man, we'll figure that one out. Why? They're wearing a mask. <laughs> no, no, but there's holes in their mask, man, uh, you know? And a ball gag does not count as a mask. Um, just to clarify, Daddy was on the first album, You're Gonna Get Torn Apart by the Hard Corn Heads. Um, you said it was on Life is Peachy. I'm almost certain Daddy was on the self-titled. Um, I mean, those two albums kind of just all meld into one for me. Did you ever download the corn font called Cornucopia? And yes. uh, fuck, geez, geez, you had fun writing corn in Microsoft Word, didn't you? Geez, it was good. It wasn't even that. It was, uh, was it flame text? It was like that online, you type something in and it would generate kind of uh, logos that would have uh you know gradients or like flames or something like yeah. that because who could afford photoshop at the time man no. when they used to do fantasy wrestling Fuck everyone you were cool. would use that program yeah totally fucking cool man you know 
what's what's not cool about like spending three hours instead of doing homework typing up a restless promo (laughs) and going like this is my promo hey guys i am not happy you know and then unforgiven walks to the ring to the sound of head up by deftones and you know like describing it it was it was like like a, a second life basically man you know but everyone would jump onto that website because everybody wanted the fucking the flames, you know. Yeah. It's up. It's almost kind of like how every fucking cunt decided at some point or another during the garage rock revival movement to be like, "Yeah, man, I'm gonna get a bowling shirt with flames up my arms and look like I'm Guy Fieri." <laughs> it's fucking bizarre that people are like, "How do I look like a musician?" It's like you got flames, like fire. Like, that's that's all you need. And then, then Chester Bennington just took it to a next level when he actually got them tattooed on his arms, yeah. rest his soul. I yeah. ended up watching Crank um, and Crank High Voltage with Jason Statham and forgot that uh, in the first one, Chester Bennington plays a tweaker. Oh, and he's also the... in Saw. Yeah. He's also in maybe the last Saw movie. Is he's, he? His back stuck to the car, I'm pretty he sure. He gets around. I think... Oh, he is, isn't he? That's how Ross Robinson actually got him to do the vocals tracks for One Step Closer. Really? By attaching him to a car? Yeah, burnt, melding his back to the car and then getting a serial killer, you know, to create an intricate maze, you know, with his loved ones at the end full of, like, you know, hydrochloric acid and shit. It's like, this is the only yeah, way we can get the, the track. End, in the end, it didn't really matter, did it? Spotify fucking... I, I'll get on... We'll, we'll move it on. We'll, we'll wrap it up soon. But Spotify, man, Linkin Park were my top two or three on that Spotify wrapped because I ran trying to listen to like their greatest hits or a bunch of their albums to try and um, prepare for this podcast, you know, because I do my research. So I was on a run and I didn't want to stop. So I just hit play again and, geez, it comes around. And it's like, fuck, now I, ca- I can't share my Spotify playlist because it's just a bunch of like corn, Limp Biscuit and Linkin Park. People are like, this guy never grew up. It's, I don't think it's going to take a Spotify rap playlist for people to, to get that idea, man. Yeah, i got to take the I mean, slingshot like out of my pocket. Mine, mine has been absolutely, it's like, you've listened to, Demanufactured by Fairfax for like <laughs> four thousand hours. Like, yeah, exactly, man. Because it's a good fucking album. That's why number one genre listened to alternative metal. Like, good because I I wouldn't call Fairfactory new metal alternative metal. No, because they're but in triplets. They got the triple kick. It can't be. By, by... It's got to be Raymond Herrera like hitting those triggers, and you know. I was a DB. Sorry, man. You're yeah. the fucking drummer. Why aren't you tapping on the table? Brr, 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 brr. That's all he does. Because he had that. Yeah, he had, didn't I mean. he have like a double kick, but it had an extra hammer. So when he hit one, one would hit. But when he hit the left one, that they would both hit. But they'll kind of be like out angled out a little bit. So the other one hit and then the other one. So he just do two, yeah, but it'd be triple. Like a, a rhythmical. But then he also, when he got lazy, he had triggers on the kick drum. So. If he hit one, it would go through the software and then it would just make a sound like just sample another drum, you know, another kick. So the double kicks, you know, would then become quadruple kicks. And it was like, if Dave Grohl can do it with one fucking kick pedal, man. True. That's all you need. I think Ramstein did that as well because my friend saw him at a festival and threw a 50 cent coin at their kick drum and it hit and it fucked up their timing. 
Only you and your fucking friends would ruin it. Was that a big day out as well? It was a big day out, yeah. Oh, why are you doing, man? And what were Corn doing wearing fucking pig masks at some point? Yeah, there's a weird thing where they became a state. So basically, my life, you know, I, I, about 2008, I went overseas to China and I, I kind of like got fully into there. And because the internet is kind of cut off there, I lived in a bubble. You kind of catch like little whispers of news and i came back and suddenly disturbed were a stadium rock band which fucking blew yeah. they're like stirve they were like disturbed at rod laver arena and then corn were doing these like arena tours but they'd do that thing where they'd go up near the sound desk and do like an acoustic jam and i remember seeing like these two pig head guys in pig masks playing bongos and i think corn and i could be wrong did like an mtv unplugged no, they did because they did a track with Amy Lee from Evanescence. So that was kind of like the the new uprising kind of uh, alternative metal bands. With the and old I think there were two people wearing pig masks, which is quite weird given Slipknot was such a thing, you know, unless it was a play, paying tribute to Paul Gray, but I don't think it was. They were just wearing masks and it looked like they were from the set of, of Saw. So for some reason, masks came in to, to saw like those hog masks or something, you know, wild boar masks or whatever they were. I don't know. But anyway, it's a weird sort of thing. And then it didn't sound good. And for some reason, I want to say in the corn MTV Unplugged, someone has a full drum kit and an electric guitar or something, or Fieldy has his electric bass, and they're just playing quieter. They think playing quieter, it's, it's this band or another band, you know, sorry if you come here for hard facts on Bacio Death Trip, but <laughs> it's like one band just like, oh, we'll play quiet. It's like, no, that's, that's, you're still plugged. You have to be unplugged. It's acoustic instruments. I mean, that was, they did a cover of Creep during that MTV Unplugged Oh, fuck, I'm going, as soon as we finish this, I'm listening to that. Are you? I, I would probably suggest after that having to listen to when they did the is it Metallica icons, MTV icons, and they did a cover of One. Oh no. Oh Lord. It was good. It was good. Because imagine was like, that with Joey from Slipknot on drums? No, that was Download Festival and I was actually at that download festival. It was incredible. So I remember like at one point, Jonathan Davies during the concert walked off and came back on quite proudly with the bagpipes under his arms. So we were just like, here we go. I don't mind. I don't mind. If they're going to play, sh you know, shoots and ladders, that's cool. But it was that download festival where Lars apparently had some medical issue. I just think that he threw a tantrum and wandered off, you know. Yeah. That's my theory. And so they had Dave Lombardo from Slayer. He stood in to play drums for a couple of tracks. Uh, Fleming Larson, which is which was uh, Metallica's drum tech at the time, he jumped on to play a couple of songs. But predominantly, it was Joey Jordison. And when they did "For Whom the Bell Tolls," Joey just decided to absolutely flex and like double kick where the drum part is. So you know, and that's when Lars does his little drum oh. fill in and Joey just went fuck it and just double kicked that whole part to the point where um, James had to turn around and go hey there Joey calm down man we might have to put on some masks ourselves like you know this guy's absolutely flexed all over Lars well Metallica wouldn't have known what to do because they had a drummer who could actually play in fucking time you know uh <laughs> 
and didn't what, Dave Lombardo. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. True, Joey did lose the plot a little bit. It was good. It, it always seemed that Download Festival that that kind of shit happened because it, it happened to Corn. I wasn't at that Download Festival, but Jonathan Davies got became ill and they got had a whole bunch of guest vocalists come out and a a guy i quite like called a uh, uh, benji webb who was the vocalist for dub war and then now of you know skin dread and he also did some stuff with uh rob trujillo uh, they did mass mentor which yeah. was like a crazy project and why i got into skin dread was because he ended up working with Max Cavalera on that first Soulfly album, which I hope we talk about at some point because that I've, I've got a tattoo of Soulfly. But oh, do you? He, yeah, 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 man. On my leg, everyone seems to think it's a fucking Wu Tang Clan oh, logo. You know, to get people walking up doing the W. Like, is the first yeah, album the, the one where uh, Fred Durst is on for Bleed? Yes. Yeah, fuck, that's at a great one album. Of those moments where Fred Durst doesn't phone it in and actually yep, goes 100%, 100%. for it. 100%. 100%. It's, it's also got um, Head Up with Chino Marino. I thought Head Up was on I, Deftones. No, no, no. What was it now? Oh, um, where he talks about, it's about his, um, he, uh, Max? No, no, sorry. It talks about his uh, Dino. Is there something about Dino? Uh, Dana. Dana. Dana, Dana sorry. His stepson. Yeah, who, who um, was killed in a car accident yeah. or by the cops or something? Yeah, there's a. It's. I mean, that's a whole thing we'll talk about during the Soulfly podcast. No, head up was when Max introduced the whole Soulfly kind of thing, and it was. Jesus, what track was it now? First Commandment. Oh. Off the first, but yeah, Benji Webb ended up doing two tracks with Max because Max was a big double fan. Anyway, Jonathan Davies was out. Benji Webb stepped in and did like an amazing fucking version of Adidas. Ooh. There's something about that music festival where something goes wrong and you get a real memorable moment. Like Slayer turned up late one year and they had to get put on the pop punk stage uh, just after, I think it was Bowling for Superplane. And I just really wanted to go check it out because I was like determined. I was In my head it was like, these fucking kids are going to get destroyed, just stood there waiting around for newfound glory and suddenly Slayer take to the stage and they're trapped with a whole bunch of like Slayer fans flanking them. Um, Like the Raptors in Jurassic Park, you know? Clever girl. Yeah, Yeah, I don't understand the whole pig mask thing. Maybe it was, just maybe it was. I mean, what era of corn was it? Uh, it was late, you know, because they released like four albums and they started getting into dubstep and no one cares. But, you know, if they came here, they'd probably play an arena, you know, enough people would, would go. They'd, yeah. they'd have to. Even it's, though I don't like the new drummer. He's, he's one of those things where he's technically better, but doesn't have this kind of groove or the... There's a real grit to corn in it. At times it feels... Uh, that There's a, a problem with with new metal now as in like Architects, Bring Me the Horizon, all that sort of stuff. Um, yeah. Northlane, they are so good. They just don't make mistakes, you know? Whereas Corn, in particular, the first three albums, yeah, really, really good, a lot going on. But there's some there's some grit there, there's some dirt, you know? It's, it's taking like a really well-polished piece of wood and then going... That's a bit too polished, and you just mm. take a little bit of sandpaper and give it a little bit of a rub down, just to remind you that it's textured. 
uh, you know, as, as as completely pretentious as this may sound, you know, I like the production value of like this, like a little bit, you know, like oh, there, there is a certain kind of terseness to it. There's a certain kind of like unpleasant texture which makes kind of alternative music which made new metal new metal you know and then when they started moving corn for example when they started moving away and they got a bit more refined a bit more polished untouchables for example untouchables is a great album but it lacked that filthiness Mm. that maybe the earlier albums had it's like with foo fighters you know first foo fighters album i loved because it had like a certain gritty almost kind of like unwashed quality to it. And then they kind of released the color and the shape that was, was similar, you know, but then when they started, they have a bit more sheen to it. It was like, ah, you know, it's kind of like, yeah. I get it though. I mean, like you, you play the instrument. Suits. Suddenly they're playing the instruments all the time. They, they naturally get better. They become more efficient. They set up their amps, you know, they know what they want, but also I, I noticed the things with bands when they get bigger, it's a really simple thing that their drums have to get simpler because it cuts through um, festival stages or sound systems better. So suddenly the hi-hat goes closed, you know, at, in, in the clubs, open a hi-hat sounds awesome. In the festival, it sounds sloppy, you know? Um, So they, and they go more for, you know, four to the floor because that's what drives, you know, it's uh, unless you go triggers like fear factory, which you should, (laughs) but you know what to come full circle. Maybe that is Ross Robinson adding that grit you know, and maybe they do need, you know, a hammer smashed face or something to, to sing. What's well, a quote Cannibal Corpse? Yeah, I'm always quoting Cannibal Corpse. Cannibal Corpse or Socrates? I thought that was Socrates for a minute myself, man. I have to think for a minute there. Benj, we've got to wrap it up. But, you know, obviously, thank you so much for getting this far. We would not be here without our sponsors. We are sponsored today by Cargo Shorts. Today's episode is brought to you by Cargo Shorts. Are you tired of being limited to just four pockets on your shorts? Well, check out Cargo Shorts, where you'll find some pockets for like further down the sides and some more pockets on the front of your shorts, down near your thighs. That's right, carrying your wallet in the back of your shorts is a thing of the past because now you can put it down super low, right against your kneecap. Pickpockets won't have a chance, well, they'll have less of a chance, you know, law of averages, with all those pockets to choose from. So go get yourself some cargo shorts and let everyone know that you're good for storage. So big, big thank you to Cargo Shorts for sponsoring us yeah, today. Yeah, you know, I think without Cargo Shorts, you know, I think that the whole new metal economy of like the early 2000s would have been in, in dire strait. And good to see Cargo Shorts making a comeback, man. Well, Fear good Factory would that. have been um, just pantless, I imagine. You know, they just would yeah. have nothing to wear. I mean, Dickies would have gone bankrupt, man. So, you know what? Let's hear it for Cargo Shorts, man. I'm glad. When did you rope them in as a sponsor? Um, 1997, when they really thought things would never be going down. Golf Punk next week? Um, no. No, I think next week will be um, Death Metal Logos. Once again, Cargo Shorts, we salute you. Low slung for fun. Cool, and that brings us to the end of Bacho Death Trip. Um, come back next week where we're, we're definitely going to go in-depth for, um, what is it, Slipknot self-titled? Yeah, yeah, I guess so, man. And I don't want to, I don't want to hype it up too much, but it may be the greatest podcast you'll ever fucking hear. Uh, so, and if not, your Honestly, money back. This is going to be the podcast, ladies and gentlemen, and everybody else, you know, um, that is going to see us get signed to an exclusive deal 
with Anchor FM. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Nice. All right, guys. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.